right, yes, once you bet someone, you can go ahead and take a seat. If you guys don't mind, flip on that light switch. That would be awesome. All right, good morning. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Exchange. So glad you guys are here. That was a great time of worship. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one. So Philippians chapter 4. <laughs> got it, got it. Maybe I don't got it. All right, sweet. Philippians chapter 4. Again, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one so you can follow along. Um, good morning. So glad you guys are with us. Uh, this Sunday is a special Sunday. Yes, it's the Sunday after Easter, which is great. Uh, but for us, this is Baptism Sunday. Immediately after church today, 1 o'clock just north of the pier, we're having a baptism. Uh, a couple people have signed up, and if you'd still like to sign up, you can. Uh, if you'd like to just come to the beach, we're going to talk to everyone, share for a few minutes, and then go and baptize people, obeying the command of Christ uh, to baptize the world, really, in his name. So, so excited for that. Also, after church is done today, we are having group signups. So our groups, our small groups, are kind of like our backbone of our church. Uh, that's how we just meet. That's how we have community. That's how we have discipleship. Uh, our groups run three months on, one month off. So groups start up again this week or next week, depending on the group. But signups from the back, so excited for that. We'd love for everyone, everyone to be part of groups. That is our hope. That is our goal. That you can just not just know people once a week, but do life with them, go on outreach with them. That is what we do through groups. So signups will be after service as well for that. Uh, so Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I, I do want to do something different. We've been making the way our, ma our way through Philippians, and we're finally in chapter 4. Uh, it's taken us a few months, but it's been great. Um, we're actually going to slow down even more in chapter 4. There's just so much here. And specifically today, in light of just kind of the last couple of weeks, in light of where our church is at as a, uh, as just as a church, um, I want to show you and just study and look at one verse. It's Philippians 4.4. 4. What we're going to look at today and study today is just simply rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's all we're going to talk about. That's all we're going to look at today. Uh, we've been making our way verse by verse through Philippians. We will get back into that next week, looking at verse 1 through 7, looking at the big context but I feel like it's necessary for us to slow down and just to simply rejoice in the Lord and celebrate a little more. Last week was Easter. It was an awesome time. Met some, so many of you met so many new people. Um, people are open just to the gospel at that time. It was a beautiful couple of services. Two weeks ago, we had our extravaganza, uh, an outreach we do kind of for the community, just have some fun, some games for families. We saw over 1,000 people come out to that. It was mind-blowing. Uh, we passed up 400, like 70 goodie bags to, to kids and with the adults. It was just an incredible event. Actually, here's what we're going to do. Before we get into the text, we do have like a little minute video, just in case you missed it, just kind of recap. And again, we're going to celebrate uh, what God has done. So turn your eyes to the screen, and we should have that video playing for you. So I just want to give a big shout out to all the volunteers that made that happen. Can we just give it up to all the volunteers that served and made that happen? Um, I think that egg hunt got violent at one point, and those little kids can be vicious. Uh, but it's honestly, it's an incredible event. It's a way for us just to meet our community, to talk to them, to get to know them by name, just to share the love of Jesus with them. So thank you for those who served, for those who came out, for those who give, just so we can do things like that. Thank you. Uh, hey, listen, we are in Philippians 4, as I mentioned, and I really do find it appropriate for us to slow down and just celebrate all that God has done and is doing. Now, I, I, I'm someone who kind of wants to keep moving on to the next thing. Um, I feel like there's a conviction in my life so often, just as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, to slow down and celebrate like what God is doing in the moment, because sometimes we can be on to the next, 
and never really just rejoice in the Lord. And I find that really necessary. It was actually about four or five months ago, we were going through the Gospel of Mark, and as I was studying for Mark, I was just flooded with thoughts and ideas about Philippians 4.4, and I just started writing and writing and writing, and kind of about four or five months ago, I was able to even put together this sermon, because I feel like the Lord is saying, like, our church as a whole needs to have more of a spirit that just rejoices in Him, that celebrates Him, um, that we don't just kind of move on to the next thing. And we're like, let's go do this now. Like, we just need to rejoice in the Lord a little bit. And so this is something for us where I do want to slow down. Um, I was just overwhelmed by this thought even. For us, we as just Americans, we're, we're really the, not just one of the wealthiest nations of all time. But you think about human history. I mean, we have so much access. We have so much wealth. We have so much happening. And yet we're one of those anxious-filled, anxiety-filled, um, fear-based-filled, I think, culture so often. Here's what's happening. In Philippians 4, Paul slows down, and he touches on some major thoughts that apply to us today. Basically, in Philippians 4, as we're going to read this, he's going to say this, "Uh, don't be anxious for anything. Rejoice always. Have a single focused mind. Meditate on things that are pure and noble and lovely. Be content in all things. Live generously. I mean, Paul is touching on topics that um, I think we fail at so often, that I can fail at so often. I think we are a generation that's not very content. that We're very anxious about many things, about everything. And so this chapter for us is like, let's slow down and talk about anxiety and fear. Let's slow down and talk about the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Let's slow down and and meditate on new things, things that are lovely and pure. So we're going to do that today. We're going to do that specifically on Philippians 4.4. And and here's why I say that. Um, I don't ever want to be guilty of going through the scriptures and we're growing in information and in our theology. And there's this idea of theology and doxology, meaning this, what I believe about God, my theology, must be expressed. My, my doxology, the expression of my theology, the expression of my worship, the expression of what I know about God, it needs to actually come out of my mouth and come out of my lifestyle. And so that's what I'm hoping can happen in our church, that we would not just be those who grow in the information of God by any means, but that it would just produce fruit and change and rejoicing, and God would just do something new in our lives. Amen? So again, Philippians 4, 4, the title simply today is just Reasons to Rejoice, and I want to look at a few other scriptures. Again, this is difficult for us. It's very difficult for us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Whenever, whenever someone has a good day, good year, good week, they're traveling somewhere, buying a new home, it's very difficult for us to rejoice with others, to rejoice in the Lord. So this is so necessary for us. So let's just read Philippians 4, 4, and then we'll pray, all right? Philippians 4, 4, what does Paul write? He says simply, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. One more time. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. For those of you who who grew up in the church, how many of you know this song? I'm about to like bust out in the singing because you know this one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Oh, wow, it's terrible. All right, we'll try it one more time. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. We need to do this. We need to live this. We need to apply this. Let's pray, and we'll look at this thought and biblical truth more in depth. Let's do that. (sighs) Father, we just do ask that you'd make us a people that rejoices. Even as we've been studying Philippians, and and Paul is saying, don't complain, be blameless and harmless. That as he's in prison writing about joy, God, I ask that that would not just be something that is in theory to us, but let it be our reality. Jesus, that would be people who rejoice in you, rejoice in the gospel, rejoice in what you're doing, rejoice because you've given us eternal life. God, speak to us. Be here. We ask that you would um, just do something new in our lives. 
God, even when our hearts and minds begin to wander and be filled with fear and anxiety, we just do pray that your peace would surpass all understanding. So we ask that you just be here and speak in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. On Thursday, um, I went on a long walk, about a 45-minute walk with my, my son, who's three years old, and as soon as we get on this walk, he finds a stick in the shape of a Y. He called it his Y stick. And halfway through the walk, we're just going on again a longer walk, he drops the stick, and the part of the Y breaks off, and he absolutely lost his mind. And I don't know if you're, if you are a parent, you know what I'm talking about, but as soon as the stick broke, he goes, my Y stick, it's broken. I'm like, it's okay, dude, let's get you a new Y stick. And I try to pick up one, he goes, no, that one's too, that's too thick. Okay, let's get you another small one. This one's too, this one's too thin. And I'm like, son, we live in like a rainforest. We're in Florida. There's sticks everywhere. Just pick a stick. Now, after a while, you kind of know what this is like. Like, I could not calm him down. For the next 25 minutes on this walk, he was crying and whining about his Y stick. And I actually started laughing, and that's probably the worst parenting technique. But I started laughing after a while, and I started writing down some of his quotes. Quotes, this is what my three-year-old said. He goes, that stick is broke. I'm like, yes, all sticks are broken. Like, that's, they come off something. They don't just grow out of the ground. He goes, that one is too bendy. I'm like, it's a stick. I don't know what to tell you. It's a stick. He said, I'm the only kid like me that lost my Y stick. I'm like, what does that even mean? I'm so sorry that you're the only kid that lost your Y stick. He already has this woe is me mentality. So we get home. He's complaining. He's crying to my wife. I lost my Y stick. It's broken. It's broken. She's like, it's okay. I got you a popsicle stick. And he goes, no, but it's not my Y stick. Now, here's what happened, obviously. Happiness is fickle. As soon as he eats the popsicle, he never even remembered his Y stick. So please, do not bring up the Y stick if you see him. It was like the worst end of the world moment that happened. And, and here's why I say this. We know that happiness is temporary. We know that happiness comes and goes. We know that happiness is one of those things that uh, you can be emotionally excited, wh while joy is really an attitude of the heart. And we do see this difference between happiness and joy so often. You know, it's been said that happiness rests in the blessings while joy rests in the blesser. And again, hear that? Happiness loves the blessing of life while joy, joy loves the blesser. And that's something I just want to talk through and look at as a church um, because there is a difference, but there are similarities as well. So let me just kind of show the differences. First of all, I, I love how one author put it. This is probably the best illustration. Happiness is a thermometer and joy is a thermostat. And maybe you've heard this idea, this concept before. Happiness is like a thermometer. So a thermometer, what does it do? A, th a thermometer will tell you the temperature of a room. You're like, oh, it's like 72 degrees in here. A few weeks ago, it was like 95 degrees in here. But a thermometer will tell you the, the temperature of the room. A thermostat controls the temperature of a room. And this is what happiness. Happiness kind of just tells you the temperature. This is too cold, this is too hot. But a thermostat, you can actually place it at whatever temperature you want it. See, joy is more like a thermostat. Joy is not just kind of telling you the temperature. Joy is saying, let's set the temperature. See, there is a difference so often. One might be more fickle. One is more constant. One is more present. W and there is some synonyms between those. But here, here's something I, I actually do feel guilty of. Um, so often in the church, we try to peg happiness and joy as if they're completely different. I think so often in the church, we almost act like happiness is sinful and joy is the right answer. In reality, we see there's so many similarities. Actually, if you study the root word of happiness and joy in Hebrew and in Greek, they come from the same root word. So they're usually, there's like 17 different words in Hebrew to talk about happiness and joy. They're actually a lot more similar than we might think. 
There's a guy named Randy Alcorn. If you've ever read any of his books, he wrote a book called Heaven. I recommend that. It's phenomenal. He also simply wrote a book called Happiness. All right, and this is like an 800-page book on happiness. You're like, that doesn't make me very happy. It does for me. Um, but he wrote this big, giant book on happiness, and honestly, it's the most in-depth and thorough books I, th- I think ever probably written on happiness. And it's very theologically correct and accurate, and, and he says this. I thought this is so good. He says, only in recent times have happiness and joy been set in contrast to each other. I believe this is biblically and historically ungrounded and has significant downsides. This is true to me. This is interesting to me. It's almost as if, well, the world can be happy and we can have joy. And he's basically writing his book, listen, if you have a Christ-centered joy, a byproduct will be happiness. Now, you might pursue happiness, and you might never, never get joy or happiness. But if you truly have a Christ-centered joy, you can potentially have both in a sense. The point is, joy, joy will be expressed so often, and joy will be expressed through maybe happiness. I think this is really interesting. There's a Puritan writer, a Puritan writer, mind you, who wrote about happiness. Let me just read this to you. His name is uh, Thomas Watson. He said this. He says, He, God, has no design upon us but to make us happy. Who should be cheerful if not the people of God? A Puritan writer in the 1600s. I mean, you'd think that if anyone's not going to write about happiness, it'd be like a Puritan writer. But he's like, no, no, this is how God designed us. In a sense, we find ultimate fulfillment, satisfaction, joy. Pe- There's so many synonyms you could say for joy or happiness. But he's saying, no, God has made us to be the most cheerful of people. There should be a sense of cheer. There should be a sense of glee. It's really, we're communicating the same thing. Another guy named Charles Spurgeon said this about happiness. Listen to this. He says, those, listen, those who are beloved of the Lord must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. Another guy in the 1800s goes, no, no. Those who are found in the Lord, there, there should be a sense of not just, not just joy, but of happiness. So let me just ask, are we cheerful people? Is the church known for its joy? Are we known for happiness? Are we known for being critical or judgmental? Are we known for rejoicing? Like, what are we known for? What is the state and the climate of the church in that way? He's saying this, if you've been redeemed of the Lord, there should be no one more joyful than a Christian. And even, maybe a byproduct should be even happiness. And that's not bad if it's rooted in the right thing, and that's in Jesus Christ. And so I think this is, should be something we talk about. Let me just say this too. Um, this, is, this is not some patronizing statement. There can be like a, a misuse or misapplied, like you're having a terrible, terrible day, and someone's like, rejoice in the Lord, brother. And you're like, I will show you rejoice in the Lord. Like, you know, sometimes this can maybe be abused or misapplied. I actually had someone check in on me like a week ago. I was like, hey, I know you had surgery on your ankle. How's it doing? I'm like, actually, it's really, it's kind of throbbing right now. It's in a lot of pain. I'll praise God, man. So glad you're doing well. I'm like, you definitely did not just read the text I sent you. I said, I've been in a lot of pain and it's throbbing, but that's cool. Now, they, they might be right. It's like, maybe I should have that mindset. But sometimes this can almost be used and, and almost, it can almost be hurtful at times. Sometimes you can use this. We can rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also need to weep with those who weep. We also need to know when to apply this, how to apply this. But there's a side of this that we, we should apply at the same time. You see, I'm going to say this. If you have the joy of the Lord, it does not mean you're going to be immune to suffering. Um, actually, if you have the joy of the Lord, you, you, that's when it will be seen the most, is during those times of suffering. One of the best definitions of joy or illustrations, however you want to put it, one author said this way. He said, joy is a spiritual buoyancy. Joy is a spiritual buoyancy. And I love that. The idea is wave after wave can knock you down, but guess what's going to flow back up to the surface? Joy is a spiritual buoyancy. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul said this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Listen, we do not lose heart. 
Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for, but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is saying the same idea of spiritual buoyancy, that though you get knocked down, though our outward man is perishing, he goes, we rise to the surface. I I love, again, this idea of joy being a spiritual buoyancy, because the idea is this. um, It's not that you won't experience wave after wave or difficulties, but you're just unsinkable. Joy is this idea that you're unsinkable, that things will come at you time after time. But a joy centered in the gospel, centered in Christ, it will, in a sense, rise to the surface. And here's what he's saying. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I say, rejoice. So let's just break this down. Let's talk through this a little bit as a church, can we? So I'm going to do my best to talk through this because I think our outlook needs to change. I think the Bible has a different outlook on suffering and on celebrating and on trials and on joy. One author said this, and I thought it was so good. He said, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. See, the world might say you're, you're experiencing joy, but you've got to foresee uh, sorrow in a sense. But we might be sitting in sorrow and we can see the, the joy coming. So here's a few points I just want to point out. Rejoice in, rejoice when, rejoice because. All right, this is supposed to be not dot, 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 supposed to be fill in the blanks. I want you to like, kind of fill in the blanks here. All right, this is supposed to be a little, you just couldn't make it that way for some reason. So rejoice in, fill in the blank. You're going to fill that blank in. If you're taking notes, which is cool if you want to. Rejoice in, rejoice when, and rejoice because. So let's look at the first point. Number one is this. Rejoice in. Rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. When you have nothing else to rejoice in, you have the most important thing to rejoice in. He says rejoice in the Lord. So for those of you who have stuff, for those of you who have, rejoice in the Lord. For those of you who don't have, rejoice in the Lord. There's a side of this where I I hope we can understand the emphasis I'm trying to make, which is in, in. Rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord. Don't rejoice in circumstances. Don't necessarily rejoice in your job, your influence, your wealth, your power, your children. Rejoice in the Lord. Is it okay to rejoice in those things? Absolutely. Can those things be taken from you? Absolutely. See, here's the idea. I'm rejoicing in something that is unmoving, unchanging, that can always satisfy, never leave me nor forsake me. Everything and anything else will change, will leave, will move, will disappoint, will frustrate, will anger you. But this idea of rejoicing in the Lord, he is that unshakable, unmovable anchor. Malachi 3.6, God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13.8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My joy is in something that does not move and does not change. That's what he's saying. Psalm 16.11, David wrote this, in your presence, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. Do we hear that? Rejoice in what? The Lord. Why? Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In God's presence. Guess what? Everyone in life is looking for fullness of joy, but where are they looking in? Looking for it. And he says, in your presence, God, only in your presence, there's fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, I have written these things, I've spoken these things to you, so that your joy may be full. Again, John 15, 11, so I can read it perfectly because I've messed it up. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. That my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. Jesus says this, I want your joy to be full. Did we get that? I think that some of us struggle with a, a certain theology of God when it comes to God as a God of joy. 
Actually, in 1 Timothy 1, when it describes God, it says, blessed God, eternal, immortal. That word blessed literally is this Greek word, happy. Do you understand the Bible describes God as happy? Blessed God, happy God, immortal. Happy God. We're image bearers of God. God made us in his image. Who created joy? Answer? God, <laughs> not Satan. Who created happiness? God. We need to start kind of t- embracing more of this mindset of know who made it, know who designed it to be this way. So let me give you uh, a couple of thoughts on this. Um, there's a guy named George Mueller. If you've studied any sort of like maybe church history or church movements or work of God, a guy named George Mueller, Mueller he was in the 1800s over in Britain in the UK. And this guy was just a man of faith who did a lot of things for God's kingdom. Um, this would be a guy, he, he basically ran an orphanage and started opening up more and more orphanages. This guy didn't have supplies coming from the church. There'd be times he has nothing to like, feed the kids with, the orphans with. And he'd pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. Please provide food. And you'd read up stories of like milk trucks and bread trucks breaking out in front of the orphanage. And be like, hey, it's going to go bad. Do you want this bread? He's like, yes, I do. Like this guy was just a man of, of awesome faith. Incredible. George Mueller. Read about him. Awesome man. But this guy started over 10,000, or he actually fostered over 10,000 orphans. He, ov- he opened up over 100 schools for the poor. And here's what he says about happiness. Here's what he says about joy. Here's what he says about his day. Listen to George Mueller. He says this. He says, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. I want to start off every day by having my soul happy in the Lord. There is something about starting off your day with your soul being just content satisfied, happy in the Lord. Say, before I pursue anything else, before I read the news and get overwhelmed with more anxiety, before I check out my social media feed and get more anxiety, he goes, I want to find the first thing I want to do is just fill my soul with the happiness of the Lord. Just enjoy his presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. There's something about this. I'm going to show you one more. I'm not going to show you. Maybe, Maybe I'll show you. One more long quote from him, because this is a guy who's like a father in the faith talking to young children, and it's a longer quote, so please bear with me. I'm sorry. I, just, I was trying to find a way to avoid it, but I couldn't avoid it. George Mueller went on to say about this, and listen, he's speaking to younger believers later on in his life. Listen, he says this, a few hints, please listen, a few hints to my younger fellow believers as to the way in which uh, to keep us spiritually enjoyment. It is absolutely needful in order that happiness in the Lord may continue that the scriptures be regularly read. These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. Consider it and ponder over it. Especially we should read regularly through the scriptures consecutively and not pick out here and there a chapter. If we do, we remain spiritual dwarfs. I tell you so affectionately, for the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole, uh, when a whole through with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now, have been, now I have been doing this for 47 years. I have read through the Bible over 100 times, and I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus my peace and joy have increased more and more. His point is this. You want your joy and your happiness, your peace to increase? Get to know not just the Word of God, but the God of the Word. Get to know God. There's a side of this for us where you go, how can Christians experience more joy? Get to know the God of the Word. Be in His Word. Live in this book. Like he said, I've read this over a hundred times, and God refreshes me over and over and over again. And I'm saying this because this is literally what we see in scriptures throughout beginning to end. Do you remember when Moses, Moses who 
led the people out of slavery, who did so much for God, Moses said in Exodus 34, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And if you guys remember the story, it says the Lord passed before him. And here's what's fascinating to me. Moses goes, God, show me your glory. And God's like, let me describe myself to you. Here's what God says to Moses. Exodus 34, verse 6. God says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God, show me your glory. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm forgiving. I, I want you to see how patient and long-suffering I am. You want to see my glory? Look at my characteristics. Look at my attributes. See, here's the idea. Um, rejoice in the Lord can almost be some vague term of like, what does that even mean? Rejoice in the character and nature of God. Who is God? In this moment, your circumstances might be terrible, but you're going, but who is God? God is unchangeable. God is good. God is merciful. God is long-suffering. When it says rejoice in the Lord, I need to know who the Lord is. I need to treasure him. I need to think on him. That's what Paul's going to say later in chapter 4 of Philippians. Think on things that are pure and noble and lovely. Good. This is what I need to th- rejoice in. I'm rejoicing in him. Can I give you one more long quote? Because I just have to do this. I'm sorry. Can I do that? A guy named D.A. Carson said this, and this is so good again, so I just had to read it because I can't put it in my own words. Uh, he said this. In one sense, this injunction of rejoicing the Lord is so evidently right that it is embarrassing that we should have to be reminded of it. Surely all redeemed men and women will want to rejoice in the Lord. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been declared righteous because, not because another has borne our guilt. We have received the gift of the Spirit, the down payment of the promised inheritance that will be ours when Jesus comes again. We are children of the living God. Our 70 years may be fraught with difficulty, but eternity awaits us, secured by the Son of God. We shall see Christ face to face and spend an eternity in the purest worship and in consummated holiness. If we fail to respond with joy and gratitude when we are reminded of these things, it is either because we have not properly grasped the depth of the abyss of our own sinful natures and of the curse from which we have been freed by Jesus, or because we have not adequately sur- surveyed the splendor of the heights to which we have been raised. Whew, you see why I had to read that, amen? He goes, if you do not rejoice in the Lord, maybe you don't really understand what you've been saved from. Maybe you don't understand the abyss of sin and hell and death God has rescued you from. When you understand this, it's almost silly we have to be reminded of it. It's almost ridiculous that he has to say this to us. And not only that, the second point is this. Rejoice when? Number two, always. Isn't it funny he says it twice? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, s- I say rejoice. Why? We need to hear it over and over again. Like Paul has to make a point. Paul even says in Philippians 3 verse 1, remember, he goes, it's not tedious for me to write the same things to you. Paul's like, I need to remind you of this over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I need to remind you. I say rejoice. Like this is something, church, if we don't, rejo- we, if we don't rejoice after this, like we've missed it. There, there's a side of this rejoice in the Lord always. So let's talk about this. Um, some of you are going, really, always? What, what is the Greek word for always? Does that, like, mean Sunday? No, it it means always. Literally, I I know this is so bizarre. Um, Rejoice in the Lord even when my life is falling apart. Always. But rejoice even when that is always. How can you rejoice when always? This is so difficult for us. We we have to acknowledge that. Can I say this? Paul is not a hypocrite in saying this. If anyone can say this with all boldness, it's Paul. Where's Paul writing this from? Prison. What happened when the church of Philippi started? Do you remember? Paul in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, there's this little girl who gets saved, this wealthy woman who gets saved, this jailer who gets saved. Paul is thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, literally. Paul and Silas are in prison because they preach the gospel. And here's what it says in Acts 16, verse 23. It says this about Paul. It says, when they laid many stripes on them, 
Like they beat them up severely. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. They're chained up. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I mean, after this brutal beating, after being chained in prison, they're singing hymns to God. That is mind-blowing. When Paul's like rejoicing the Lord always, he's like, yo, yo. I do this. Like, he has moral authority to say this. He has every right to say this. This is a lifestyle for Paul. This is not a good idea. This is not some cute Christian thought you might read on a little postcard. This is Paul's lifestyle. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. When we started the book of Philippians, we read a verse that to me just kind of laid the foundation of Philippians, and I want to go back to that verse. We haven't quoted it since the first week, but it's Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, listen to what he writes. It says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes in the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The author goes, Even though everything's fallen apart, even though there's no crops, there's no vineyards, there's no cattle, we don't know how we're going to eat today, we don't know how we're going to eat tomorrow, even though there's none of this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. See, there's this truth biblically for us to kind of fill in these blanks of, even though, fill in the blank, yet I will rejoice. Even though what? Even though this person hurts me, leaves me, the doctor comes back with a bad diagnosis, I lose my job, Even though what? You fill that in. Even though, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and the God of my salvation. I I do agree, and I do understand what you're thinking. Like, this is so much easier said than done. Let me just say this. There will be dark moments. All of us. I don't think there's one person here that hasn't had a dark moment or difficult day in their life. All of us will have dark moments. I wrote this down this way because I was just trying to think through this, and here's how I try to write it for us. Um, I, at this point in time, when you realize everything's stripped away from you and you have nothing. There's this thought of, I have nothing else to rejoice in, and I also have nothing better to rejoice in. There's this thought of, when everything's stripped away from my life, you go, I have nothing else to rejoice in but in you, God, but also I have nothing better to rejoice in you than you. You are the best thing I can rejoice in. There's going to be those days where you go, what else can I rejoice in but you? And God's like, exactly. I want to be the thing you rejoice in, and that's the only thing and the main thing. Well, other things bring you joy and happiness, of course, but that cannot be the main thing. I want you to rejoice in me. So here's how this applies to us this week as a church, and I mean us. You know, this is one of those things where literally on Thursday I'm reading this and I get a phone call. So I get a phone call from our school Thursday, and I'll fill you in. This is partly an announcement and partly um, part of the sermon. I get a phone call from the school on Thursday and, and said, hey, I'm so sorry to do this. I know it's kind of last minute. Um, your last day will be at the school June 2nd. Uh, we're going to take 10 weeks to remodel, redo the school. Hopefully we'll be back by August 4th or August 11th. I'm literally reading this, studying this, Read about be anxious for nothing in all things prayer. And I get this phone call, and I'm anxious for everything at that moment. I'm like, okay, is there anything we can do? And we start asking questions, I hang up. Before I walk back into Starbucks, my office, um, I'm outside, and I just go, Lord, this is not just ironic to me. It's the week after Easter. I'm teaching on Philippians 4.4. 4. It's baptism week. I'm like, I really don't feel like rejoicing right now. <laughs> I really don't feel like 
seeking you right now. I was actually like, angry at Paul because chapter four is just filled with this. Be, cont- be content in all things. Have this one mind. And I'm like, I'm just so not, I'm just so scatterbrained right now, God. Help me rejoice in you. And, and here's the point. In that moment, it's re- you realize I have nothing else to rejoice in but you. I can only rejoice in the Lord because he's the one steady, unmoving, unshakable thing. So that is partly an announcement, I know, and partly also the application to what we're going through. And so just so you know, my wife and I, we showed up to the school the next day. We brought our kids to like, you know, bring our kids. <laughs> we brought our kids, but we, we brought the school donuts. We said, hey, listen, we know this is a hard for you because they can't meet here during the summer. They have to find new office work. They're remodeling the, the ceilings, I guess, and AC. So we're like, hey, what can we do? Can we help speed up the process? Can we bring a team? They have to empty all the books of the library, bring that all back in. We're like, hey, how can our church help? We want to help. So hopefully maybe in June, but most likely maybe more in August, we'll try to help them get things back together, get things back in their school. Um, hopefully construction, you guys know how construction projects work, right? They're always on time. Hopefully uh, August 4th, they, we will be, well, August 11th will be our first weekend back in here. Hopefully that will be the case. We're praying for that. We're praying that God just speeds it up. Uh, but we just thought the school, hey, we're thankful for you. We love it here. We love you guys. We hope we can help in the process. That's one of those things, just so you guys know, we are praying through really every opportunity. We're kind of looking at the school and saying, let's kind of draw, draw a three-mile radius, five-mile radius. It's been hard looking so far. My goal is that by May 19th on Sunday, I can say, tell the church, hey, we have a lease. This is where we'll be at for those 10 weeks over the summer. Like, that is the goal. Pray for that. Um, just so you know, we don't want to make a decision out of, like, desperation. So on Tuesday, we're calling together just a prayer meeting uh, with some leaders at a house, and we're just going to be prayer in prayer for this. I would ask you to join us in prayer. I love what today when we were praying, someone prayed like, this is not just let us find a solution, but God, let this be an opportunity to reach, unlost pe- to lo- reach lost people, to save people. Let this be an opportunity to maybe, maybe you have us move for those 10 weeks to maybe there's one person you want us to reach God. So this is one of those things, guys, where I do know it's going to affect 75% of the church. We're going to move north, south, east, or west. It's not going to be right here. And I'm just praying, God, unite our hearts more. God, let us come together more as a family. This is the funny thing to me. We're already a church community that doesn't own a building, and now we don't even have a, the building we don't have, right? It's like, we're, it just shows us even more that we're more of just a community of believers gathered together seeking Jesus, trying to do life together. And this will show us whether we'll be, hopefully every week I'll have a new update for you. But this is one of those moments, and I'll just leave that at that. This is one of those moments where the Lord reminds me, Josiah, you have to practice what you preach, and that's when it gets very difficult. Where you go, okay, Lord, help me rejoice in you always. Honestly, there have been moments where anxiety kind of fills up, you know, those moments. And then I've this week had to stop and go, God, I'm going to rejoice in you. And you just kind of see it like the ocean kind of recede back. And I'm going to say, this is not to me just some cute Christian principle, again, we read on the mirror somewhere. It's like, this is Paul's lifestyle. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Again, I say rejoice. Because everything else will change. A- and we see this. We know how life works. We know that people come and go. We lose loved ones. We lose family. We see pain. We see all this happen, but God is unchanging. God is immovable, unshakable. I'm rejoice in the one who cannot change, who will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? So rejoice in the Lord always. Let's define joy again really quick, because we did this before, but you need to hear this. What is joy? Joy is simply this, a supernatural delight in the person, purposes, and people of God. What is joy? It is supernatural. It's definitely supernatural. It's something God does within us. It's a supernatural. I'm delighting in the person of God, who he is, and the purposes of God. God, what are you doing here? I'm going to delight in your purposes. God, you're sovereign over this. There's something you're doing that I do not see in this moment, in this time, and the people of God. God, you've brought us together. Paul said that in Philippians 1 of like, you are my joy, he said. You are my joy, and that is so true. 
God, I'm delighting in you. I'm delighting in your will. I'm delighting in your people. It's a supernatural delight in the person, purposes, and people of God. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice when? Always. And number three, here's this last idea that we just see so strongly in the Bible. Rejoice because what? Why? Why do we rejoice? Rejoice because your name and my name is written in heaven. Rejoice because if you believe in Jesus, at the end of the day, your name is written in heaven. I know you might know the story, but we're going to read it. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Luke 10, verse 17. Listen to this moment in time between Jesus and the disciples. Luke 10, verse 17, here's what it says. Then the 70 returned with joy. Say with joy. With joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I love Jesus. They're so excited. And Jesus is like, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. <laughs> Sorry, I just love how he pops. You're gonna, I'll explain. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I love this about our God. Sometimes you can go to God like so excited about one thing, and maybe it's like a good thing. They're excited about a good thing. God, you sent us out, Jesus, you sent the 70 out to help people, to preach the gospel, to do work signs and wonders in your name. They come back stoked, and, God, and Jesus is like, do not rejoice in that. But here's what you should really rejoice in. Your name is written in heaven. See, here, here's the idea. So often in life, we come to God, like, God, look at this. I got a new job. I got a new job. We come so excited, and God's like, do not rejoice in this. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. God reminds us what to truly find joy in. So let me explain. Joy is the noun. Verb is, or verb. <laughs> Rejoice is the verb of that. So joy is the noun. That's the idea. Joy. But verb is the, ex- or keep saying that. Rejoice is the verb. It's the expression of that joy. See, rejoicing is expressing that joy that's within. And Jesus is saying, rejoice that your name is in heaven. Rejo- don't rejoice in some secondary thing. There's a lot of things we could take joy in. There's a lot of things that could make us miserable. Don't rejoice. Don't get focused on that. Rejoice in what I have done for you, that your name is written in heaven. I really do think as a church, this is something I need to hear, we need to hear daily, which is we can have great highs because we got a job or raise or promote, whatever. We can have great lows because we go through pain. And yet Jesus is saying, listen, that shouldn't be the, the center of your joy. That shouldn't be the center of your pain, but rejoice in the fact that your name is in heaven. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you receive the free gift of salvation found in Jesus, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and you've called upon the name of the Lord, and you confess your sins and say, Jesus, don't just be Lord in theory, be the Lord of my life, be the Lord over every area of my life. The Bible says our names are written in heaven. That's how finalized it is. We're told in Isaiah that God writes our names in the palm of his hand. Now in the palm of his hand, God's like, you're mine. There's this idea that our names are so secure because your name is written in heaven. Rejoice because that's where, that's where your true home is. And I'm sharing this for us as a church because there will be great highs, there will be great lows, but we have the steady confidence that I can always rejoice in the Lord because he's unchanging. Because my name is written in heaven. Because I know at the end of the day where I'm going. Because the truth is, you guys, there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus. There are a lot of people who don't believe in him. We talked about last week, Citizens of Heaven, or two weeks ago. Paul says your end is either destruction or your end is eternal life. And see, we can rejoice because you know our end is eternal life because of Jesus. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus is talking. And he's talking about one person repenting and coming to Jesus. And in Luke 15, 10, it says this. Jesus said, I say to you, there is joy. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
when one person repents, angels go, finally, they get it. Finally, they're, they're going to stop trying to do life their own way and do it the way God designed. And there's joy. There's literally celebration and joy. There's rejoicing in the presence of angels. And one person says, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Rejoice because your names are in heaven. That's what the angels rejoice over. That's what they celebrate. He says, rejoice for that reason. See, we see that rejoicing and repentance go hand in hand. Really, if, if you want to have true rejoicing, there, there will always be repentance first. Tim Keller writes this. He says, Rejoicing and repentance must go together. Repentance without rejoicing will lead to despair. Rejoicing without repentance is shallow and will only provide passing inspiration instead of deep change. Indeed, it is when we rejoice over Jesus' sacrificial love for us most fully that paradoxically we are most truly convicted of our sin. It's when we truly repent over all of the stuff we've done, why God had to come, why he had to die on the cross, why Jesus had to take on the shame and pain of the world, when we truly repent over that, he goes, now you can have true joy. Because now you understand what was paid for your sin. Now you understand the depths of God's love. Now you understand the depths of God's grace. How rejoicing and repentance go hand in hand. So here's what we're going to do. I just want to end our time by celebrating. I want to end our time by rejoicing in the Lord. I want to do what Psalm 40, verse 16 says. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Let those who love your salvation say continually, say it with me, the Lord be magnified. One more time, the Lord be magnified. Let us do that today. We're going to just close our time and saying, God, make us a people who rejoice in you because circumstances change, things come and go, but you are steady, you are constant. My name is written in heaven, I'm going to rejoice in you, Lord. Amen? I'm going to pray, and we're just going to close our time with some worship, and we'll have some closing.